And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. You know, it's one of the most unyielding misconceptions of our age has to do with the relationship between faith and science, and also, in particular, Catholic Church and science. If you ask somebody to tell you what first comes to their mind when you say Catholic Church and science, I bet you 90% of the time it will be Galileo. And there is this extraordinary preoccupation with the Galileo affair within the history of the Catholic Church, and it's used as a stick with which to beat the Catholic Church. Now, we've talked about this a number of times on the air, but I'm delighted to have with me today uh, Father Dom Pascal uh, Scotti, who is the author of a new volume, Galileo Revisited, The Galileo Affair in Context. It's a, a, a truly uh, authoritative look at all the sides regarding the Galileo Affair. And uh, Father, it's good to have you with me. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me come on. Let me say at the, ask at the very beginning, is the popular use of Galileo as a stick with which to beat the Catholic Church in any way justified? No. I mean, mistakes were certainly made. Uh, one has to be honest about these sorts of things. Sure. Um, but no one has been more uh, supportive of science and of reason and human development as the Catholic Church on the whole for centuries. Yeah. Um, and, and many scholars will point that out yeah. very, very clearly, very powerfully. Yeah, indeed. Uh, J.L. Heilbronn has said that no other institution uh, up until the Enlightenment uh, spent more material uh, wealth uh, than the Catholic Church on, in the field of astronomy. Uh, and we still maintain a great interest in astronomy. Right. The Vatican still has, has its own uh, uh, services, its own astronomer who's American Jesuit, uh, Jesuit brother. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, they don't have the kind of resources that some places have, but they have their own observatories still. Yeah. I think it's mm -hmm. in Arizona, if I remember correctly. Um, so certainly they've always been supportive in, in very significant ways, very significant ways. Well, let's go then uh, to the Galileo incident itself. Who was Galileo? What was his stature in the world of science and within the Catholic Church? So Galileo was a Florentine um, in the 16th and early 17th century uh, with the University of Pisa, uh, was an academic. Again, mathematics was a very low-level uh, discipline in those days, probably the lowest of the low-level disciplines. The best money was for law, as it always is historically, mm -hmm. in medicine in those areas. Um, uh, he was patronized by, by the Medici, uh, which gave him a certain significance. He became about middle age a rock star. I guess we say nowadays a rock star mm -hmm. by using the telescope, which was a relatively recent invention, to look at the stars um, and see that the moon was not what people thought it was. It was full of all these marks and holes and pock marks and, and ridges and valleys, uh, and there were other stars out there. So, and he did that first. It's all about getting out there first. Other people actually now know saw it before him, but none of them published before him, and so his book, The Starry Messenger, made him a celebrity, it's only a true celebrity, um, and, and made him famous, and from that comes great patronage and support, and from that point on, he, he, he was a professor at University of Padua, the great, great Renaissance University of Padua. Again, pet professor of mathematics. He got a very low-level position considering the other kind of jobs there. Um, and with that, he could retire from teaching, um, taken care of by the Medici as, as one of their many uh, 
supporters uh, and do research and, um, and write and, and so forth, which he didn't have the freedom to do really before. Um, okay. So he, he really jumped from obscurity to celebrity very, very quickly on the basis of that one book, The Starry Messenger. That's, and that's 1610, um, right? That's 1610, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so what happens, uh, what is the relationship between then his writing in The Starry Messenger and the Copernican theory? There's no connection. Okay. Um, it, it, does, it doesn't affect the, the Copernicus and his hypotheses. It doesn't discuss any of those issues. Uh, but it does discredit Aristotle uh, even more significantly. Already by the later 16th century, Aristotle is starting to show its weaknesses. And Ptolemy, Ar- Ptolemy and Aristotle, um, the world, the universe was not as had been described for centuries and centuries. Um, more and more so it was coming clear. Uh, so the moon should have been something very different, something very smooth. Uh, there should have been no change in the heavens, so that the, the, the nova uh, that happened, in the, a big nova in the, in the later 16th century and early 17th century, shouldn't have happened, uh, according to the theories of Aristotle and, and, and descriptions of Ptolemy. Um, and so less and less Aristotle was holding together. Um, but Copernicus is not really a figure in that book at all. Okay. Um, does that book... book sunspots. It, it, the questions raised by that book, does that make him, does that put him in any way uh, in opposition to the, at, at the common uh, understanding of the world within the church? Well, well very much so. It's opposition to the common understanding. Okay. Um, because, as I say, for centuries they've been following Aristotle and Ptolemy about how the universe should look, what it should look like, and how it should behave. And it's clearly not. I mean, the, the, the yeah. use of the telescope, the amplification, he amplified the power of the tel- early telescope to make it more powerful so he could see much better and see that the things weren't as they had expected. And that was fine. And that was, that was not a cause. Co- I mean, obviously there's people going to resist that because all change has some resistance. Um, and a key part of his acceptance was the Jesuits, the Roman College. The, the, the Jesuits, the Roman College, the most advanced science curriculum of any place in Europe. Um, the great flagship of the Jesuit schools was the Roman College, um, where their best professors, very large university, really, uh, were, were assembled, and also their own training for their own people, particularly in the area of science. And, and the great master of Jesuit science, uh, Christopher Clavius, was, was a major figure at the, at the Roman College. He trained all the future professors in other universities. He helped train missionaries who go abroad, who would be very important for the spread of the faith. Again, we forget that the Jesuit missionaries in China, um, they had their entree into China because of their skill in astronomy and right. other mathematical skills um, until the early 19th century. Even when the Jesuit order was abolished in 1773, the Chinese emperor kept those Jesuits, well, ex-Jesuits now, I guess we would say, ex-Jesuits there to work in, in, in his, in his um, uh, bureaucracy because they were so significant academically with the skills they had, um, even when the Jesuits disappears in order itself. So when, what is the precipitating incident that brings him up uh, under questioning by the Inquisition? Well, the first incidents are actually somewhat earlier. Um, uh, one of his uh, a disgruntled employee uh, in Padua, because he would help make extra money at the University of Padua, he set up a shop to make instruments. He had borders, a lot of pri- private you know, tuition, etc., private, edu- private um, uh, tutoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of his ex-employees um, charged that he was um, 
using deterministic astrology. In other words, okay. astrology was permitted, but not if it, it said that we could determine reality of the future in a kind of absolute fashion. Right. Uh, a few other things he was charged with, uh, but the case was thrown out um, as being insubstantial. Okay. So that was the first incident. What year, what year was that? Uh, it, before 1610. He okay. was a professor there for, I think, 18 years. Um, uh, and, and he had reached the high, as much as he ever can reach in, in the university, because mathematics is a very low-level discipline. Um, but I forget what years those That's were. Um, also, a friend of his, uh, a very important professor at Padua, Cesare Cremonini, um, was also often investigated by the Inquisition um, before and after, um, never actually tried, never brought to trial, um, and having you know friends like that was not a plus. Another friend of his was was, was a famous Servite friar, uh, Sarpi, who was a great supporter of Venice during the interdict crisis in, in Venice between the papacy and Venice. And having friends of this sort was never a good thing because it made you much more open to investigation. Yeah. Um, but the first time it's, it's really brought up is is um, this this disgruntled employee who was trying to get back at, his, at Galileo um, and, and charged him with, among other things, particularly deterministic astrology. Yeah, okay. Uh, so that would deny free will then? Right. So in other words, it's all determined. Yeah, yeah. Astrology was very common, um, and all the universities taught it, right. except for the Roman college, because um, the professor of mathematics usually also taught astrology as well as astronomy. All the doctors had to study astrology. It was a pretty universal discipline, uh, most people believed in astrology, um, including popes. I mean, Pope Urban VIII certainly very much believed mm-hmm. in astrology, too much so perhaps. Um, and so everyone accepted belief in astrology, but not deterministic astrology. Right. In other words, right. the stars influence life, um, but free will still exists. Right. Uh, in late 1614, early 1615, uh, a letter of Galileo's uh, comes under criticism uh, as having doubtful orthodoxy because it violated the decrees of the Council of Trent. Uh, is this what leads up to that next great moment? Um, well, once, even though I, I, the, letter, the famous letter of the Castelli, I'm thinking you're right. referring to, yep. um, uh, was an attempt to, to, there was opposition from Galileo from many people long before even left Padua. Um, and, and they've tended to focus later on, particularly on the scriptural arguments, but the arguments were also um, from the physical science, insofar as they had the physical sciences. Um, the letter certainly caused questions, um, because ever since the Protestant Reformation, um, there was more and more um, difficulty of having lay people talk about Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, to use Scripture, and he certainly was no theologian. Letter to Castelli has no actual quotations from, from Scripture, if I remember, though the idea is that, 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 that Scripture is not opposed to, to Coper- in fact, he thinks it's even better for Copernicus and for Ptolemy. And then in his later letter, which is not published until much later, until, all this, until after his condemnation, his letter to the Grand Judge Christina, that's full of quotations from the Fathers, the Church, and other people uh, that support his opinions which the Church herself really supported in, in, in when Pope Leo XIII was Pope, um, a famous encyclical on scripture interpretation um, in the 1890s, somewhere, I forget the exact date. And so his view of scripture was actually the correct one. Um, he, he had to find other people, gave him the quotations from the Father. I mean, his common sense told him 
that if you read scripture literally always, you'd be forced in a very embarrassing situation. Right. Right. And, and historically, it's never been read that way. I mean, you read St. Augustine's little commentary on Genesis and right. people, they speak sometimes figuratively and sometimes very literally. Sure. Uh, Father, hold, hold it there. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and pick it up. My guest, Father Dom Pascal Scotty, Galileo Revisited. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Father Dom Pascal Scotti. He's the author of Galileo Revisited, The Galileo Affair in Context. Uh, with, with the, the question that comes up regarding his interpretation of Scripture, uh, is he disciplined for that? No, yes, he hasn't had any theological background. We know his library contained very few theological works, some spiritual works, um, but not, I mean, he got the quotations from friends of his who were theologians and, and competent in this area. But that's, those quotations come in the later work that was never officially published by him, um, but later published the very famous letter of the Grand Duchess Christina. Um, but, I mean, it wasn't in the end that letter, I mean, that obviously, the, the opposition predates the letter, uh, long okay. predates um, particularly by Dominicans, many Dominicans in Florence, um, whereas the, the, the Jesuits, and I discuss some of this in the book, the Jesuits, because of their educational apostolate, because of their work um, intellectually, etc., were much more flexible and open to different trends and, and so forth in, every, in everything. They were the best at everything, you know, from science mm-hmm. to literature to missionary work, etc. Sure. Uh, the Dominicans were much more traditional, uh, and sometimes one might even say, too traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the advances in science on the Catholic side, you see mostly at Jesuit institutions, their colleges, the Roman College, um, and people, um, particularly the Roman College, um, uh, are, are trying to shift uh, the view of science in the Catholic world um, to views that reflect reality, because it was clear that Aristotle was failing, um, at least in bits and pieces failing. And so what you do as parts clearly aren't true anymore. And so different theories develop, different ideas develop. Um, I think what probably precipitates all of this, um, Galileo unwisely decided to go to Rome uh, in late 1615, early 1616, to stop what he believed would probably be a condemnation of Copernicus. Okay, so that, um, that he, the occasion for, does that become the occasion then for the first judgment against him? That's correct, that's correct. Because um, there had been a, a, a document by a Carmelite friar, Foscarini, uh, defending Copernicanism using, again, traditional theology. He was a real theologian and so forth. So he tried to show it would be, be very unwise um, to, to condemn Copernicus, and also it may likely be shown to be true later on. And so at least give it a, a breathing space. Um, and so that, ha- that letter had become published in earlier in 1615, um, he was told by many people that, no, it's all fine, don't precipitate this reality, don't precipitate any sort of judgment. Yeah. Uh, but Galileo was not a man to be passive about anything. Yeah. Um, and so by going to Rome, I think he probably precipitated a judgment against Copernicus. Uh, that's the 1616 result. Yeah, um, okay. So, that, I mean, that's, had he, uh, had he been more prudent, this, this could have been avoided. 
I think so. I mean, yeah. many people, and you never can be sure of these things, right. but it could have been a very different result because lots of people uh, were supportive of, 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 of greater openness, particularly among the Jesuit scientists in Rome. Um, there was no need to go to Rome in the ultimate sense. Yes, he had been delated to the Inquisition. Well, lots of people are. It happened all the time in those right. days. Um, and there were people obviously opposed to him, um, and always had been, and others um, who might be opposed to him if this was brought up to a, a difficult. And he was warned by people in Rome that a lot of people would like to condemn Copernicus, so don't push this issue. Try to find conclusive proof, scientific proof, that you're correct. Um, but I guess he let his own fears of what could happen um, push him forward, and he went to Rome. Again, he was, he was known for his ability to speak, and a very powerful speaker, a uh, very, very uh, persuasive speaker. Um, but trying to win people by words alone is perhaps not the best way. Mm-hmm. And the Jesuit mm-hmm. scientists were very much opposed to him coming. Um, they thought, you know, work on your things slowly. We'll change these, these, these opinions. It becomes clearer and clearer. These things can't hold. Um, you know, just do your job. Just follow your science. Um, and I think, his, I think one can make a strong case that his own coming to Rome and pushing this issue, meeting with all these important people, all these cardinals, because he was a celebrity by this time. For him to come to Rome right. in, in late 1615 would not be unnoticed. Right. He's going from salon to salon and cardinal to cardinal, trying to persuade them of, 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 of the plausibility of all of this. Uh, he's making quite a fuss. Is he, it, does he have the goods? Can he prove his point, or is, he, is it still... Or is this... Or is this work still not quite ripe? In other words, this is used as an example of the Church denying uh, the truth of bona fide scientific conclusions. Is that what really happened? Well, he didn't have the the, the proof. I mean, no one did, not for some very long time, actually. I mean, even even conclusive physical proof came much, much later than people imagine. Um, But but. That being said, doesn't mean you should condemn something that could possibly be true. Mm-hmm. You're putting yourself in a very precarious situation. Right. Um, so no, he didn't have proof. And even when he had, he got permission by Pope Urban uh, to write his dialogue on the two chief world systems, his famous book from which he was condemned in 1633. Um, he didn't have the proof. No one had the proof. To be no real physical proof for for quite some time, um, and even theoretical proof was was, was weak at that point. And the proof he thought he had later on the tides is just false. Right. <laughs> I know. T- yeah. yeah no, that's, that's so he did have it, but he was afraid that they would preclude a, a true option that would embarrass the church, to embarrass the faith, make it difficult for people to, to accept these realities. Um, so I think, I think he had good intentions to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but again, clearly Aristotle wasn't holding, and so what's going to fill the gap? There was, clear, there was something else that could fill the gap. I mean, Tycho, Tycho Brahe, um, uh, a Danish astronomer, put together a theory that, was, that, was, that fit reality. Uh, in other words, pure Aristotle doesn't work, but this combination uh, of, of, of realities by Tycho would explain all the sh- uh, changes that we see in astronomy, explain why the nova could happen, um, and all the other kind of data. And that really held out through the big chunk of the 17th century. So there were other theories that could, you know, keep um, a true adjustment to the, what the facts showed um, and still keep a, 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 a scriptural view of reality. Um, though eventually even Tycho, I mean, would, would, would not be 
possibly okay. held. But but he, for many many decades, Tycho held. And what's the result um, of that first judgment uh, in his, in terms of his life? Well, I mean, he's not mentioned at all in the judgment. It's kind of weird. It's clear that he's the person who precipitates this, um, but he's not mentioned in, in the decree. Okay. Um, he's not condemned by anybody, at least publicly. Is he warned? He's given a private. Sorry. Is he warned? He is given a private warning um, uh, from the Inquisition, you know, not to 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 push this issue. And there's some controversy controversy over what the content of that was. Um, he was he. There's quite a bit of controversy over 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 whether this was given to him officially or well, forgeries put in his file later. I think it's most likely he demurred at this this. Um, this this talking to mm-hmm. received from some of the members of the Inquisition and was given this this imposition this um, my mind goes to the word I'm looking for this small dot not not to teach uh, and push this issue yeah what um, leads then up to the second judgment in 1633 okay so he is still a celebrity he is still a major figure people all across the globe you know want to know Galileo the Pope is a the, the Pope treats him very, very nicely, Pope Paul V in those days, the Borghese Pope. Um, in 16, I, 23, 20, I get the dates, my mind's going already. Um, <laughs> he's a good friend of his, Maffeo Barberini, elected Pope, Pope Urban VIII, mm-hmm. and, um, who's very favorable. And probably it seems very strong, pretty clearly, that reason why Galileo was not condemned at all, and even Copernicus was given a much lesser kind of censure by the Congregation of the Index, um, was because of intervention of Barberini and another cardinal, Catani, um, uh, that, that you shouldn't condemn Copernicus. Copernicus is not really condemned as heretical in 1616. Um, Bellarmine wanted to do that. The Pope wanted to do that. Some others wanted to do that. But the intervention of these very two powerful cardinals made it a much lesser reality, um, and Galileo was not mentioned at all uh, in, in, in the decree. Um, so his friend is like a Pope, Pope Urban VIII, he goes to Rome. He seems to win the approval of the Pope to write on this topic if he writes hypothetically. Uh, of course, the word hypothetical can mean different things to different people. Um, for Galileo, hypothetical means something that we can't prove but might be provable later on, mm-hmm. possibly true. Okay. Um, for Pope Urban, it's something that's purely instrumentalist, purely hypothesis as a, as a fiction, a, a useful fiction, a convenient fiction, um, which is a common idea um, so Aristotle doesn't really work. Um, the, the, the view of the, of the planets of Aristotle doesn't work unless you add what Ptolemy and the other mathematicians added, all these epicycles and so on and so forth. So you could predict the movement of the stars uh, with some accuracy. Um, and so in Urban's mind, certainly, hypothetical is something that's definitely a convenient fiction um, and not something that, that could possibly be true. And so the, the book is approved by censors, you know, censors in Rome, censors in Florence. This is the dialogue uh, concerning the two chief world systems? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's got all this official approval. Um, uh, but when the book comes out and, and Urban starts to starts understand what's really in it, um, he, he feels betrayed, and many, many levels betrayed. Um, it wasn't the book he thought it would be. Um, and Galileo really should have known better that, that, you know, Urban's view of hypothesis is a much more fictional one, a much more, much more um, instrumentalist one than his own. Um, but he was used to finessing things. Again, he was a man of very eloquent uh, capacity, a very skillful speaker, um, a great debater. 
Uh, and he was a good friend of his, or at least a decent friend of his, and he thought he could finesse this. We've I got about 60 uh, seconds left. Could you bring this, make the final, uh, was this a matter of papal peak, or was there a real issue here? Well, I, 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 the condition was not necessary. It's caused nothing but problems to the Church ever since. Um, peak is, 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 is certainly there. He was a very sensitive person, urban. Mm-hmm. But also, as I mentioned in the book, there's a profound philosophical skepticism in Urban himself, which saw this as a serious issue, um, a, a belief about God and reality and our knowledge of God and reality, which I would call skeptical, um, I think is really not what you want to have in, in the Catholic view of, of nature. Hmm. Um, and I think that was the underlying push, as well as the personal elements, um, in the sense of betrayal, of being used by friends and others around you who who'd mis- had misguided you. Um, to approving this. And uh, there's, I know much more we could do. We could go up to the, the recent statements by John Paul II, but we don't have the time to do it, unfortunately, Father. Uh, I hope we can talk again. Uh, the book is called Galileo Revisited. It's by Father Dom Pascal Scotti. It looks at the Galileo affair in context. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you very much.